Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Hope you guys had a great Labor Day weekend. Pastor Paul here. It's Tuesday. Let's check the date. That would be the 5th. Am I guessing? Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I think so. September 5th, Tuesday morning. So glad that you have joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. If you're new to this, what we do is we unpack the passage that we are going to be preaching on for the upcoming week. We use the preceding week to sort of dissect, exegete, interpret, unpack the scriptures together. And, and he, again, the goal here is that you guys will have tools um, in an ongoing way to interpret, apply the Word of God for yourself, to be a self-feeder, to, to study. And so by giving you a glimpse of how I'm thinking about passages and how I'm sort of um, wrestling through them, hopefully it, there'll be something in that that will help you in your own study. So we are, of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in Matthew chapter 9. And this sort of exegetical lesson that, that I want to talk to you about this morning is a pretty high view of things. In fact, we're probably not going to be digging much into the upcoming passage, although I'm going to be referencing it. But I want to use this as an opportunity to explain how the scriptures were originally written and then how we as God's people go about studying them, okay? And, I, and of course, I will reference the text for this, this coming week. So, for example, Matthew's gospel, he wrote, most likely, 30 years or so after Jesus had ascended. Matthew was a, an apostle. He was establishing churches, and he was writing, most likely, for a, a, a Jewish community that was full of both Christians and non-Christians, Christian Jews, non-Christian Jews. And his, his purpose... In writing this gospel, of course, is to communicate the idea that Jesus is king. He is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And so when Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this gospel, he did not put chapter and verse divisions in it. Um, those are things that were added later to help us in our study. But at the time, remember, most people, a lot of many people could not even read. And what would happen is that this book, this biography narrative, would, would be read aloud to a, a whole church in a, in a communal sort of setting. And as it was um, read, then the church would go back and, of course, reread it and study it and pull it apart and dissect it. That's important to understand because when we're preaching through God's Word or studying God's Word, we can never lose sight that this gospel or whatever book or letter that we're studying is an entire narrative. It's, it's, a, it's a cohesive whole. And, and if we forget that, then we are likely to take things out of context. We're likely to, to zero in on things that aren't necessarily Matthew's main point. We always need to keep the grand scope of the narrative in view. While at the same time, we also have to have a means of studying this, okay, or preaching through it. And when Matthew wrote his gospel, he did not write it primarily with the idea in mind of, of how is Pastor Paul going to, to preach through this in 2,000 years. I need to give him nice, easy segues, pericopes, that's a fancy word for a section of Scripture, 
um, to to preach through. That's uh, that that wasn't his primary goal. His primary goal is to is to talk and proclaim Jesus, which is what we do in preaching. I say all that to say that means we still have to decide what is going to be the scope of our passage that we're preaching or even studying from week to week. And my personal style, of course, um, I love to go deep into smaller portions of Scripture, and that's completely valid, but that's not the only way to preach through a text. Um, oftentimes, you can look at the same text and get 10 different sermons from it. It doesn't mean that there's 10 different meanings, okay? It just means that there's... 10 different applications or, or different ways to go about it or divide it up. Why am I telling you all this? Because we are coming to a portion of Scripture uh, that we're going to be studying the next few days that is longer in nature. It's longer than we typically um, would scope out in terms of a text. And the reason, there's a couple reasons for it. One is um, we could get into a position where we're spending the rest of our life in Matthew and I don't think that is really faithful to preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. But secondly, um, we have to remember um, how Matthew ordered things. And one of the things Matthew does is that he orders things in threes. And he does this to communicate a, a common point or a main point. And this is certainly what we see in our upcoming passage this week. We're going to be in Matthew 9... 18 through 35, I think it is. Let's see. Um, I'm getting old and I can't read. 34. Matthew 9, 18 through 34. It's about uh, a girl who's restored to, to life, a woman who is healed, about two blind men who are made to see, and then a, um, a mute man who um, can't speak, who Jesus cast out a demon and, um, and heals him from his, his muteness, okay? So when you look at all those things, you could say each of those little stories could be their own sermon in themselves, and it's true. However, Matthew repeats things in his gospel over and over and over again to emphasize particular points. And if you think back to earlier in our study of Matthew, uh, well, this wasn't even that long ago. It was in Matthew chapter 8. Um, we looked at Jesus cleansing a leper, healing a centurion, and then healing Jesus' mother-in-law, and we took those as one block. And in that particular passage, we or, the, the, or those three stories, we, we chose to focus on this idea of faith and that this is not so much um, faith if you have the right kind of faith that you will be healed, it's that Jesus uses the occasion for people's desperateness to show their need for him and to show um, his compassion and loving kindness to heal them, thus to point them back to him as the supreme healer, the supreme ruler, the supreme king. And we really focused big time on that, okay? Well, in this passage, in some ways, we could preach that same sermon because it's all the same themes, okay, in our passage for this week. But we're not going to because we just talked about this a few weeks ago. Instead, we want to focus on some other themes that Matthew raises. And, and again, this is an important point. The scriptures are inexhaustible. We could study them all day, every day. 
and, and still mine things for the rest of eternity. So what I want to do is I want to read the scope of Scripture we're going to be studying this week, and I want to point out some things that we are going to be looking at and that I want you to particularly hone in on in your own study, okay? So let's begin in Matthew 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying, around, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee says he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Okay, that's the scope of our scripture. And as you see, it's very similar to what the three stories we see in Matthew 8, where um, the, this issue of faith is emphasized and physical healing. Well, we want to focus on some other things that Matthew draws to light here and still be faithful to the main point of the story. And so one of the things that should stand out to us are just the diversity of responses to Jesus, okay? And that's pretty astounding when you think about it. Jesus is doing the same things for all these different people, but yet what we see are each of these audiences having different responses. So, so for example, we see a, a Gentile, okay, um, who this idea of a ruler, that's most likely a centurion, a, a ruler, a Gentile coming to Jesus, asking for him to help, help heal her, okay? It, it may not be a Gentile, by the way. It, it could be the ruler of the synagogue. We're, we're just not sure. But, but what we see is, is there, there's a great faith here. And there's a woman here who just, she trusts in Jesus enough to touch his garment. But yet at the same time, there is these group of mourners here who are scoffing and laughing at this idea that Jesus could heal this dead girl. Then we see these two blind men who are so overjoyed with the grace they have received from Jesus, they go and tell everyone, even after Jesus said, don't tell anyone. Then we see the crowds. And again, the crowds are there, they're watching, they're marveling, 
Okay, we don't know what degree they have faith or not. And then finally, always, of course, the blasted Pharisees, the religious leaders. And here they say, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. They don't deny the miracle. They just say that Jesus is doing this by the dark arts or something. So here, here is your assignment, okay? That you begin to, to think even back to texts we've preached on, and, and you can look forward in Matthew to these groups of people, those who are desperate to be healed, the crowds and the Pharisees, and note how each of them positions themselves in relationship to the work and person of Jesus. And, and what we're going to find, I think, is that the evidence for who Jesus is never changes, but people's responses um, are wide and varied, and we have to ask, why is that? Okay, And that's what we want to try to answer this week. But what we do want to emphasize here is that Jesus changes everything, right? That, that was the, the title of, of, of Sunday's sermon, right? That, that he elicits some sort of response, okay? That ultimately there is no place of neutrality in responding to who Jesus is, okay? And we just have to ask then what determines on a human level how people respond the way that they do. So that's what we're going to hone in on this week in next week's sermon. And that's your assignment is to look at how these different groups of people respond in different situations and just ask yourself why. And ask yourself the same question. Why do I respond in the way that I do to Jesus or to God's word, both positively and negatively? What, what's going on in my heart at that level? Dig into that and I will see you here tomorrow. Let me pray. Lord, we want to receive not part of you, but all of you, everything you are for us. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would go before us and bless our study of the scriptures this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.